Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode number 207 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And to kick things off this week, I need to say thanks to some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Dr. Worm, Christine and Dante Bellafato, Alfred, Kim S, A.B., Terry Shannon, Becca Smith, Nancy Austin, Alexandra Winand, Diana Gilliland, Elizabeth Pryor, Tad Stones, Lindsay B, Winslow, Bree Robertson, Mackenzie, Janelle Parker and Finn High. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week. Our film review is After Midnight. After Midnight was released in 2019. It is 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb and 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Following a 10 year relationship, Hank's girlfriend breaks up with him. While trying to cope, he must also confront a monster that tries to attack him. This week I requested on Instagram that people tell me their, what they think are the most underrated horror films. And I'm going to try and work my way through them for the film reviews. It's saved as a highlight on my Instagram page if you want to go check it out. There's lots of good film recommendations in there. And I've put a brief synopsis with every film rec so that you kind of can get an idea of what it's about. And I chose this one for this this week mostly because I loved the art <laughs> for this film which is a very shallow and um, purely aesthetic reason to pick something and I also liked the synopsis you know. So let's get into the likes and dislikes. Now I had no idea what to expect from this film aside from the synopsis. In my head I thought it was going to be like something really cerebral and that you would be questioning the whole way through is this monster real or is he suffering some sort of emotional breakdown because of the breakdown of his relationship and that's the kind of kind of film that I thought it was going to be and I was kind of wrong so in terms of my likes column like this film was surprisingly funny like it is genuinely well written and hilarious and it's kind of a very entertaining look at the complexities of dead-end relationships in your 30s. And I do think the story of their relationship is really well portrayed. So you see like flashbacks to their relationship. And I think it's so relatable because everybody at some point in their life has had a relationship end, a relationship breakup that has truly spiralled them into oblivion. Maybe one that you didn't see coming, maybe one where you were insanely hurt by it. And in that way, it's really relatable. And also, I think for people in their 30s, I I think we all see it in like our friendship groups or maybe you've experienced it. But people who get together in their like early 20s do so much growing up over 
the years that it takes to get to their 30s and then suddenly they're in their 30s and they're like, I'm not sure if I want to be in this relationship anymore. And then it's like, well, I've invested so much time and effort into this person and I truly love them, but I still don't know if I want to be with them. Oh, I just I just love a good relationship dynamic. Anyway, relationship dynamics aside, the more important thing about this film is that it's a creature feature and I love a monster. Hook creature features to my veins. I just love them. I love them so much. I love any kind of monster film. They make me so happy. I love it when it's just a big giant version of a creature that already exists or a particularly bloodthirsty creature that already exists or it's some sort of alien or it's a folklore creature. Doesn't matter. I love them. Hook it to my veins. And I also love stories where you don't, there's no indication as to where the creature comes from. You know, nobody finds a big book that goes through the folklore of the area and you figure out where a creature comes from. No, there's no news bulletin that says this is what's happening. You're just landed into the middle of this. There's a creature and everyone's dealing with it and it's completely ambiguous. And I love that. And I also love the ambiguity of whether or not the creature is real. So I spent the whole film trying to figure out whether or not I thought the creature was a real creature or whether it was a figment of Hank's imagination in terms of some sort of physical manifestation of how he was feeling at this particular time. Like I was thinking, is this psychosomatic? Is this a case of mistaken identity? His friends are all aware of what's going on for him. And one of his friends is like, it's definitely a black bear. Another friend thinks it might be a panther. And then there is somebody who thinks, well, it might be an alien. So there's all these different theories throughout the film as to what this particular monster might be. In general, I loved the setting for this film. I believe it was set in like rural Florida and I thought it was really well acted. I laughed a lot. I liked the lead character's best friend who was chaotic and hilarious. Like I believed their story of being two people who fell madly in love in their 20s and sort of grew apart in this dead end rural town. And I felt like it was definitely a fresh take on a creature feature. However, this brings me swiftly to my dislikes column. I just have to say it. I needed more monster. I needed I needed more savagery, you know? I needed more people running for their lives. I needed less cat consumption and more monster glimpsing. And here's the thing. Like I said, I loved the look at the 30 something relationship breakdown and what that means. It was very relatable. But I thought it was going to be a full-on creature feature and it's not there just wasn't enough monster there was so much relationship stuff that I kind of forgot I was watching a monster movie and then every so often there'd be some brief monster shit and I'd be like oh yeah there's a monster I forgot about that I kind of don't really know if this story knew what it wanted to be because it it's part romance with a dash of monster that seems to be that ends up sort of becoming this weird subplot and then half kind of buddy movie. I didn't really know what, what it wanted to be. And therefore, I, I found it quite frustrating to watch. And as a monster gal, if you're presenting me with an interesting new monster, I want the story focus to be on that interesting new monster. And I want your relationship to be secondary to that. OK, that's that's where I want this to go. And let me tell you, right, if I was at a dinner party, if I was at a dinner party, And my relationship with my other half is holding on by a singular thread. And they start singing to me badly on a cheap karaoke machine. You best believe I'm leaving. 
You best believe I am flinging myself into the open mouth of that monster. That would be my 13th reason. It would be the final straw. There's no way. There's no hope for that relationship if that happens. I think that was the most horrifying bit of the whole film, to be honest. It was, uh, it was honestly, there was the singing sequence and it made me want to curl up into a ball and die. And I did feel like, and this is kind of, it's not really a spoiler. It's, you know, it's not really giving away anything that's going on. I felt like by the end of the film, they kind of forgot it was meant to be a creature feature and then threw elements of the monster back in. And I think, I think basic, fundamentally, right, in all, I enjoyed the film, like I was entertained watching it, but I also was really frustrated by it because I felt like they had a really cool, engaging idea for a creature feature and I think they didn't quite know what it what they wanted it to be and therefore a lot of the elements got lost, the elements that were going to make it kind of cool and new and fresh and uh, funky and a little bit monstery, you know, all of those elements kind of got lost in in the story of the relationships. So did I enjoy it? Yes. Would I recommend it? Also, yes, but I don't think it's going to, I don't feel like it's going to blow anybody's socks off. I'm going to give it three and a half stars. So that's three and a half stars for After Midnight. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which brings us to our story this week. Now, our story this week is a little bit different. We're kind of looking at a collection of stories and this week when I was thinking what what episode do I want to do because I have a bit of a timetable going on at the moment and I have stuff that I have to put out for the next couple of weeks and stuff that I have to put out after that and I needed something for this week and I didn't just didn't know what I wanted what topic I wanted to do and I was kind of doing a search through different books on the website World of Books and I came across this book called Paranormal Morgue Stories by Eve S. Evans and I thought to myself there's nothing I love more than discussing death. So the stories today are adapted from the book Paranormal Morgue Stories by Eve S. Evans and just to say before we start there is frequent mention of dead bodies or corpses or cadavers in this particular episode so if that's going to make you feel a bit wibbly wobbly then feel free to sit this one out so let's get into it i have seen countless dead bodies in my lifetime i know that sounds like a strange thing to say but it is true recently i asked my sister if she could remember the first time she had seen a dead body and she couldn't remember 
nor could I. I'd never really thought about it and it suddenly occurred to me that that probably should be a life-defining moment, but it wasn't. I have no recollection of who the first dead person I saw was. I have no recollection of how I felt at the time or how it impacted me. It would seem that it did not impact me very much. I've spoken about Irish death culture on the podcast before and it is something that I've always taken for granted. Of course I did. I lived there and death is an integral part of living when you are an Irish person. And I never realised that our death culture might be considered odd to other people. When somebody dies in Ireland, the body is briefly taken away. If they die in hospital, then their body remains in the hospital for a short time. And then the body is either brought home to an elected family house or to a funeral home. To give you an example, my grandmother died in hospital. They did the autopsy very quickly and then we brought her home to her house. She lay in an open coffin in the sitting room of her little cottage. People descend on the home, bringing tears and laughter and so much food. Lemon drizzle cakes and plates of sandwiches and anything else you can think of is hand-delivered by friends and neighbours. People sing and cry and laugh and tell stories. If you keep the body in the house, some prayers are said and then the body is eventually moved to a funeral home where perhaps people from the wider community can come and pay their respects. By this point, the coffin is generally still open and the body is on full display. Some people may come and rest their hands on the hands of the corpse or kiss their forehead or stroke their face. The body is then delivered to a church and the funeral mass and the burial takes place. All of this happens in a matter of days after the death. There are obviously different traditions in different parts of Ireland and not all parts follow the same pattern. In some households, people will cover all the mirrors and reflective surfaces after a death and they will open all the windows to allow the soul of the person to escape through the window. I never realised that other people might find this strange. I never realised that other people might find it creepy or odd to have the body of a loved one in the home. But I completely understand why people might be frightened of death or find the idea of a corpse frightening or overwhelming. When researching topics for this week's episode, I came across a book which may change my feelings about death or death work. Or at least justify some of yours. The book is called Paranormal Morgue Stories by Eve S. Evans. And the stories in this episode are adapted from that collection. I'm fascinated by the world of the death trade, from pathologists to funeral directors. They see not only the dead, but also every emotional spectrum of the living. But perhaps they also catch more glimpses into the other world than we care to think about. I guess before it happened, I didn't really consider the paranormal. It's not that I was judgmental about it. I understand that everyone deals with death in their own way. I just felt like there wasn't really anything else, anything other. We live, we die, and at the end, you come to people like me who look after you in the aftermath. Despite the fact that I didn't necessarily believe in an afterlife, I treated the bodies that came into my care and their families with the utmost respect. 
It is a sad fact that not everyone gets treated with the respect and care they deserve in life. So the least I could do was treat them with the respect and care they deserved in death. Anyway, this one particular day I was on my way to collect a body. Ordinarily, I actually didn't do that anymore. Not for any nefarious reasons. It was that business was going well and I had an assistant, which is a pretty good reason as it goes. As a result, it had been quite a while since I had done a pickup at this particular hospital and I had almost forgotten how painfully creepy it was. Even as a non-believer, I had always hated doing pickups here. The morgue was inside an older part of the hospital and the corridor to get to it was long and dark, aged and generally deserted. I would walk down the corridor and the sound of my footsteps echoing all around me would become almost deafening. I hated it. Usually, the only other person down there was the mortician on duty, but I wouldn't see them until I got to the morgue itself. This particular day, there was no one on the front desk of the morgue, so I stood awkwardly, waiting to see if anyone would appear and let me through. I was painfully aware of the length of corridor that stretched out behind me, dark and empty. Through the door behind the front desk, I could see the mortician on duty milling around. I managed to wave her down and she opened the door for me, smiling. I vaguely knew her. I'd seen her a couple of times on pickups and she seemed to know me too. There was a flicker of recognition across her face as she opened the door and let me into a small, cramped office. I showed her my identification and the documentation of the body that I needed to collect and she smiled and said she would prepare the body and be right back. I sat in the tiny, dingy office. Again, completely surrounded by the painful silence of this seemingly forgotten part of the hospital. It was almost a relief to hear this squeak squeak of gurney wheels on the lino flooring outside the office and I jumped up and opened the door to greet the mortician and get this show on the road. I opened the door and stepped out into the corridor, only to be greeted by an unexpected emptiness. There was no one there, and there was certainly no gurney. I blinked, but the corridor remained stubbornly empty. I barely had time to consider it as the mortician appeared at the doorway at the end of the corridor and beckoned for me to join her. I stood in the mortuary chamber as she shuffled the paperwork. I can't remember her exact words, but she told me that something was wrong, there was a bit of a mistake on the paperwork, but she would get it sorted and off she went. If you have never been in mortuary storage, it's as grim as you might imagine. I am in no way squeamish or romantic about death, but something about the chill in the air and the metal units that hold the cadavers still made me uncomfortable. And in that moment, I was silently grateful for my assistant taking over this part of the job. I think when you know that you are alone in a room like this, there are two terrible things that you could hear. Footsteps is maybe number one. And number two, well... I had thought about that scenario many times. It was probably why I found this room so creepy. I had thought about all the weird things that could happen a million and one times. 
but I never expected to actually hear it. I heard the click of a lock disengaging. I heard the distinctive hiss of the freezer door opening and the cold air escaping. I felt the rush of cold air on my arms. One of the cadaver freezers had opened. Now to be clear, there is no way that one of these freezers could or should just fall open. They are manual opening only because those cadavers need to be kept at a certain temperature or else you get the idea. I turned around to see one of the heavy metal doors swing open. My heart was pounding in a way that I don't think I've ever felt before or since and my mouth was bone dry. I took a step towards the door almost instinctively and I peered gingerly inside the cold metal tube. There was nothing, thankfully. I don't know what I would have done if there was something. Possibly sprinted right back down that spooky corridor which in hindsight would have been wildly unprofessional. I quickly shut the door and engaged the lock and stood with my hands on the handle trying to regulate my breathing. It was fine. The door obviously just hadn't been shut properly, that was all. I must have been feeling on edge because of the building. I heard the tip-tap of footsteps behind me and turned to tell the mortician what had happened. I was keen to tell her in a way that was as neutral as possible so as not to give away how much of a fright I'd gotten. I turned, determined to appear as placid and neutral as possible but what I saw did nothing to alleviate the pounding panic that had risen in my chest. As with the corridor, there was no one else in the morgue. The mortician had not returned as I had expected, but who or what had approached me? To whom did those footsteps belong to? Had I heard them at all, or was it somehow the product of my imagination? But if it was my imagination conjuring up monsters in my panicked state. Why had the footsteps filled me with relief? They had been so real that I had assumed the mortician had returned. I stepped away from the cadaver drawers and stood aimlessly in the middle of the room. I hadn't realised, but I was hugging my arms around my body and chewing the inside of my mouth. I used to do these things as a child when I was frightened. I had this overwhelming sense that something or someone was in the room with me. That someone or something was silently watching me, surveying me, trying to figure me out. I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. And almost as soon as I had seen it, I felt it. A soft thud against my foot. I had seen whatever it was move on the metal surgical table that was in the centre of the room, but I hadn't anticipated that it had moved so far. As I looked down, I was again plunged into an icy cold sense of shock. A metal scalpel was on the ground at my foot. Now I'm not in the habit of carrying around surgical equipment on my person, and the room was bare aside from the cadaver drawers and the surgical table. There was only one place that it could have come from, and that was the table, and it did not fall from the table. It moved and travelled a fair distance to have hit me on the foot on the way down. 
I didn't know what to do. So I bent down and took the scalpel and replaced it on the autopsy table. I stood up and jumped at the sight of a figure standing in the doorway. She could obviously see the fear that was plastered all over my face and she apologised for scaring me. The next few minutes passed in a blur of checks and moving the body to the back entrance of the morgue where it would be loaded onto the hearse. I was accompanied by another member of hospital staff until it came to loading the body onto the funeral car which I could do by myself. I thanked the member of staff for their help and watched them retreat back into the building. As I turned back to the hearse I felt a cold blast of air across my neck and a man's voice whispered, Thank you. Right out of nursing school, I got a job working the night shift in my local hospital. I think they often assign new nurses the night shift because not many people want to do it. And it's also a total baptism of fire. Those first few months working the long nights and trying to get your body used to it are incredibly intense and incredibly grueling. But I suppose you do get used to it after a while, or at least as used to it as you can get. I worked on the cancer ward, which was a pretty incredible place to work. It was incredible to see all of those once frail people beat the illness. But we also saw the other side all of the time too. Cancer is a bitch, and all too often I watched people pass away because of it. But that's the nature of the job, I guess. When someone died on shift, two members of staff would be assigned to transfer the body onto a gurney and wheel them to the morgue. The body would be transferred to a freezer drawer and we would fill out the necessary paperwork to accompany the body. This particular night, myself and another nurse were wheeling the body down to the morgue. We chatted inanely, maybe anxiously. The morgue is a creepy, cramped little space and I somehow think it's the same in all hospitals. We put the body in the freezer drawer and shut it and we stood completing the paperwork. And then it happened. Suddenly, from one of the closed freezer drawers, there came the sound of screaming. The sound of a human being screaming wailing and crying frantically for help. I froze in shock and the screaming stopped as abruptly as it had started. I stood staring at the offending freezer door almost willing the sound not to have happened. Eventually after what seemed like a lifetime I remembered my colleague who was still standing beside me. I turned to look at her and she was staring at the same vault door, snow white, her eyes huge and her mouth open. She asked in a trembling voice, Did you just hear that? A part of me felt intense, instantaneous relief. My brain had cycled through all of the possible answers to the scream, most of which pointed to me hearing things, so I was somehow glad that I hadn't imagined it. It was real. But then that also meant it was real. 
someone was screaming inside a freezer drawer and the only people that were inside those drawers were well and truly dead. My instinct was to open the drawer. I don't really know what I thought I would find in there, but fleeting thoughts of zombies or a terrible mistake and pending lawsuit permeated my brain. I reached my hand out and my colleague grabbed my arm. Are you crazy? This is way beyond our pay grade. She spluttered and with an unsaid agreement we hastily finished the paperwork and sprinted away, down the corridor and back to our ward. In record time, we were both standing with our chests heaving in front of our supervisor, trying to tell her what had happened with garbled speech punctuated by heavy breathing. I don't know what I expected the supervisor to say or do, but I didn't think that she would smile knowingly and explain that we were not the first to hear this and nor would we be the last and that strange things were known to happen in the morgue. She would send word that the drawers be checked, but assured us that although what we heard may have frightened us, that we were not to worry about it not to worry about it. I felt like our experience was legitimised, yes, but don't worry about it. There was no way that I was going to get the sound of that frantic screaming out of my head, and I didn't. Still makes me break out in a cold sweat when I think about it now, and that was years ago. Since then, I try and avoid the morgue run, if at all possible, but me and my colleagues have adopted a new ritual when someone dies. There was an Irish nurse on the ward... And she said that when someone dies, we should open the windows to let the soul go free. And we have done that routinely every time someone dies. And guess what? No more weird occurrences. Look, maybe it's all in our heads. I don't know. But that scream was as real as you or me. And I will never forget it. So many of the stories in this collection reference the fact that wheeling bodies to the morgue is one of the worst parts of the job. It seems that even healthcare professionals who are around death fairly regularly find it tricky to deal with the cold clinical logistics of transporting a human body and placing it in a cold freezer. Sometimes, not hours before, that body was a living, breathing person who laughed and loved and ate and slept and drank and had a family and friends and suddenly they are gone. All that is left is a body, a mere vessel, and that vessel needs to be properly contained in order to avoid quick decomposition. Maybe the clinical nature of it all somehow simultaneously strips the humanity from the situation while also reminding us that that person was alive a short time ago. Of course, it is worth pointing out that as humans, we are entirely fallible. We misremember things. We make connections that perhaps aren't there. We are partial to a bit of pareidolia. And we can be primed wonderfully to see, hear and feel things in certain places. Both of the stories that I have presented today started with the assertion that the morgue in their hospital is invariably creepy. It seems that even for non-believers, there is something universally off about the space where bodies are stored. Our final story today, and don't worry, this is a topic we will be revisiting, is one of the more extreme stories that I read in this collection, and you can make of it what you will. Patients always manage death differently. 
Some people are ready for it. Others fight it and some are just frightened. All are understandable and all are valid. This one patient I had was really scared to die. She told me she had had a rough road with cancer. She was in pain a lot and struggled with the thought of leaving her family behind. Who can blame her, really? She had fought against cancer and received every treatment imaginable, but it just didn't happen. When she eventually died, I I was secretly relieved. Because I knew how much pain she had been in, and I knew that even though she hadn't wanted to die, at least the pain was over. Small mercies. Me and my colleague were tasked with wheeling her body to the morgue. Taking bodies to the morgue is always an experience in a busy hospital. People avoid you as though the body you are transporting carries some terrible, contagious disease. I mean, sometimes they did, but that's not the point. Even medical staff get weird about being around death. Me and Sam stood in silence in the elevator, and when we reached the floor with the morgue, Sam stepped out of the elevator and I began to wheel the gurney out. I had only gotten the gurney halfway out the door when the lights in the elevator started to flicker. The door shot closed. The sensors kicked in just as the doors reached either side of the bed. The doors opened and the lights stopped flickering. I suddenly felt weird. Something didn't feel right. While I had never seen the lift behave like this before, it could easily be explained as an electrical fault. But something was off. I shook it off, rolled my eyes at Sam and pushed the bed out of the lift. When we made it to the morgue, I huffed and puffed as I pushed the bed up the ramp and into the morgue storage room. The room had sealed metal doors in order to keep the temperature consistent and as I opened the doors and pushed the gurney in, I was met with the feeling of cold and the harsh smell of formaldehyde. I remember shuddering. Ugh, I hated this room, and I just needed to push the gurney in until I felt it hit the back wall and I was good to get out of the cold and go. I pushed until I heard the clang of metal against metal and I turned to leave the room. Just in time to see the big metal doors slam shut. Shit. My first thought was, fuck you, Sam, this isn't funny. I was locked inside this freezer with only dead bodies for company and I was not impressed. I banged on the door and used some choice phrases to let Sam know that I was not seeing the funny side of the joke. I could hear a voice, muffled and far away on the other side of the door, but I couldn't make out what she was saying. I imagined that she was finding it absolutely hilarious. Maybe I would too. But I was the one on the wrong side of the joke, and at that moment, the lights began to flicker and half of them went out. I started banging on the door louder. And then the clicking started. A a weird metallic twang and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Or maybe at this point I didn't want to accept that there was only one place where it could be coming from. I moved around the room trying to find the source of the noise but I knew. I knew that it was coming from one of the freezer drawers. I walked slowly around the room, and the noise seemed to be ping-ponging around, moving from drawer to drawer. It was impossible. I remember shaking myself up and walking back to the door to resume my frantic banging. And just as I reached the door, 
the second half of the lights in the room flickered out and I was plunged into pitch black darkness. All sense of bravery was gone now. I was panicked. I could not see my hand in front of my face. The tip-tapping on the metal continued and I stood with my back to the door, afraid to move in case I lost track of where I was. Suddenly a voice pierced the darkness in front of me. Help me. Please. Help me. My eyes filled with tears and I could feel them spilling down my cheeks. I barely realised that at this point I was bellowing for Sam to let me out and I barely recognised my own voice. Suddenly another sound pierced the darkness. The sound made my screaming catch in my throat. It was the sound of dragging, something being dragged along the floor. Something was in here with me. And then I felt something touch my foot. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it could be. I lifted my foot off the ground, desperate to be as far away from this thing as I could be, but terrified to leave the safety of the door. I felt something grab my foot, and now I was completely frozen, but my hands were still blindly groping the door, hoping that it would open. The dragging sound grew louder and whatever had grabbed my foot seemed to be pulling itself up my body. I could feel its weight. I could feel its hands grabbing my legs, my knees, my thighs. I was terrified to see it and at that point, I was glad that the room was in darkness. I don't think that I would have survived seeing whatever this thing was. When I felt the thing reach my stomach, I braced myself for my impending demise. When I suddenly heard a click and the next thing I knew, I was lying on my back in a daze with a sharp pain in the back of my head. Sam was trying to help me up, asking me what had happened and if I was okay. According to Sam, the door had closed and gotten stuck and she couldn't get it open. I sat up frantically, craning my neck to see what had attacked me in the storage unit, but nothing was there and the lights were all on. What the hell had happened to me? Sam was still asking me what was wrong, what had happened, but I didn't know how to tell her. I didn't know what to tell her. I just told her that I needed to get out of there. And as it turns out, I am not the only person who has experienced things down there. Although I never would have believed anyone before this. I have never gone back there alone. So it felt more immersive to do these stories as like first person narratives, but they were three different stories within this uh, within this book. And I didn't want it to feel too much like a mini episode or a listener's episode, but I felt like doing it in the first person narrative made it feel much more immersive and much more like they were reliving that particular story. And look, I'm just going to say it, right? I was sort of surprised when I came across this book because I just don't, I don't feel like a morgue is a place where people would haunt. But I feel the same way about graveyards. And guess what? There's a bazillion reportedly haunted graveyards around the world. And clearly there are lots of morgue workers who have had experiences in the morgue. But, and I have a big but here and I cannot lie. You other brothers can deny. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not even going to cut that out. I'm going to leave it in. Is this a classic case of priming? Now, in my kind of intro to this episode, I said very explicitly that, you know, dead bodies, that kind of thing doesn't really freak me out. However, in saying that, if I was on my own in a morgue overnight, I don't think I'd be best pleased. If I was on my own in a funeral home, I also don't think I'd be best pleased. So is it possible then that this is just the ultimate priming? You're in a spooky space already. You're doing something that, you know, the vast majority of the population will not have to do, which is transporting a body and moving that body into a freezer drawer and doing all the paperwork that goes with that. And as a result, are you primed to hear footsteps, hear voices, misconstrue what is a generally innocuous sound as something completely spooky because of the surroundings that you are in? Like in the first story adaptation that we looked at, the person was in the office on their own, heard the gurney wheels, thought it was the mortician, went out, mortician isn't there. Then they had the freezer drawer open and they had to close it and then they had the scalpel fall on them and then finally they had the person whispering thank you in their ear as they were wheeling the body out essentially into the hearse. Like what was the thank you for? Is that thank you meant to be like thank you for taking me out of there? Thank you for removing me from that place? Is it that in death people's spirit, their essence, their soul, whatever wants their body to be interred into the ground or cremated kind of as soon as possible and they don't want to be in that clinical cold space. Also for the second story right it absolutely baffles me that they didn't open the drawer. If I hear a human being screaming in a drawer where that human being is meant to be dead my first thought isn't oh shit it's a ghost like I'd be I'd be absolutely petrified. I think I'd I'd probably melt into the ground in that moment or just freeze into a block of ice. But I would be thinking, oh my God, somebody is in there and they're not actually dead. I wouldn't be thinking, oh my God, it's something supernatural. I don't, well, at least I don't think I would. I'd be petrified, don't get me wrong. It's not a sound that you want to hear in that space. But I would be opening the drawer just in case because I'd be like, what if, what if somebody did make a mistake? I mean, there have been incidences in recent years where people have been declared dead and then turns out not dead at all, sat up in the casket and been like, I'm actually still alive. So can you not bury me? Not to freak out anybody who has a fear of being buried alive. So I think that's what I'd be thinking. Or I'd be thinking, fuck, the mortician is some sort of serial killer. And they're like trapping people down here, putting them into the drawer, torturing them. And then nobody thinks to look in the drawer, do they? Or maybe that's just my crazy, chaotic, imaginative brain. But you best believe that I would be opening that drawer. And I would be pretty much the reason why the zombie apocalypse starts. You know, I'd be that person who does the thing that everyone is screaming at the screen for you not to do. But we have done episodes in the past about people ringing their loved ones after they've been dead, kind of leaving voice messages or people hearing the voices of loved ones that are deceased. So, I mean, is this any different, really? Like, is it any different that it's happening in a morgue in the immediacy after somebody dies? Somebody sent me a news story on Instagram I'm really sorry I don't have your name to hand. I think maybe they tagged me in an Instagram story. Anyway, either way. And the Instagram story was a news clip where there had been a terrible road traffic accident and the there was a mother and her child in the car and the responding units had heard this horrific screaming from a woman screaming for help over and over again 
and they went to the car and it turns out that there was an infant in the car that they weren't aware of and they believed that the woman had died on impact and they didn't know who had done this screaming for help. And it seemed to them like she was basically trying to alert them to the fact that there was an infant that was in the car that needed to be rescued. And I mean, yes, these first responders are in a pretty strenuous, intense situation, but they're not expecting to hear the voices of the dead or the seemingly dead guiding them to where a child is alive. So look, I don't want to be completely disregarding these experiences, you know. And the last story is really wild and it um, I included it because it gave me the heebie-jeebies. And when I was recording this episode, I don't know if you can hear in the background, there is some sort of building work going on in one of the houses that are adjacent to mine. So there was this awful sort of dragging noise while I was recording that particular part of the story. And I was sitting here going, please not now. Please not now, because this is really freaking me out. And I'm sitting with my back to the room and I don't like it. And I feel like I'm going to turn around and there's going to be some sort of corpse dragging itself across the ground towards me. And I do feel like the last story sounds like something from a horror film. You know, with the lights flickering, going out, the sound of something dragging, you know, then this thing crawling up the person's body. I don't know. But if you so desperately don't want to die and are frightened of death, who knows what that does to your spirit, your essence in the immediacy after your death, you know? Like that's a lot of emotional trauma right there. If you liked these morgue stories, this little collection of stories, then do let me know because I'm happy to do a morgue stories part two in another couple of months or even a couple of weeks if people are into it. I obviously still have my America series going on. We've got, I think, four more locations to go, but I'm trying to make sure that those are kind of interspersed, that they're not all one after the other. So let me know if you want another collection of morgue stories and let me know if you are a death worker And if you have had any weird death work experiences that you can't explain, I would love to hear about it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, if you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can subscribe to our Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts.